Welcome to the Five Star Podcast. My name is Tom Savage. I am sick of talking into a microphone. How about that? How about that as a starter to this podcast? Uh, I've had a very, very busy weekend commentating on rugby matches on Saturday and then GA games on uh, on Sunday, which, when I listened back to them, didn't sound like me. It sounded like somebody else doing it. Because apparently, not only do I have a podcast voice that's different from my normal speaking voice, but I now also have a sports commentary voice as well that's different from the play-by-play voice that I, or the, the, the colour commentary voice that I already have. So there's lots of different voices coming in here. So if I end up switching over to sports commentary voice, almost did it there, you'll forgive me. Um, the big game this weekend, the important game, the one that we're here to watch, or here to talk about rather, is uh, Ireland versus Scotland in the uh, Pool B of the Rugby World Cup 2023 in France and the final score in that game was almost irrelevant to a certain extent um, because when you look at how Ireland were so dominant and how we were so geez, uh, ruthless clinical efficient more rugby words to describe this (laughs) it's a game that I genuinely think having watched it back that Ireland could have probably if we needed to win this game by 50 points that we could have done so Um, which again I think is is, it does sound hubristic um, but I think it's it's true um Ireland's dominance in this game was such final score by the way was 36-14 Scotland were a little bit fortunate to get to 14 but um, I'll talk about that as well in a minute Um, the actual pattern of the game as it played out left Scotland they had nowhere to go right and even early on in this game um, I was back in the door I had a lot of AIL work to do and I was commentating over in Newcastle Um, I was watching Newcastle Best against Craig's Um, And I came back in the door, finished my AIL work, and when the game itself started off, I was sitting down next to herself, and I was drinking, I think, a cup of coffee, even at that stupid hour tonight, and I think it was, what, 20 minutes in, Scotland have had, uh, like, at at that point, they'd had a really big, like, 20-plus phases long um, spell of possession. In and around the Irish 22, it actually counted as a 22 entry, and... They were just shut down over and over and over again. I turned to herself and I said, Ireland are going to win this. And they're going to win this easy. Because Scotland have no way of affecting Ireland. Because at that point, Ireland already stuffed a full eight-man maul with four defenders. Four or five defenders. Um, enough that you could leave Dan Sheehan, Caelan Doris and Josh van der Fleer like as a numbers miss mismatch and this was on a five meter lineout, right so a five meter mall drive and Scotland had nothing absolutely nothing for Ireland in that close range mall and when you look at that and you look at them going through multiple phases of possession not really getting any real gain where they're getting over the gain line and pressurising Ireland yeah look they made gains in the, in the wider channels to a certain extent but once Ireland got to scramble across once they had to come back across the field they had nothing for Ireland and th- when that's the case you have nowhere to go against Ireland there's nowhere to, to, to run this team will score they will like be rootlessly efficient again I, I, like this is almost kind of heading into rugbonics territory here where I'm kind of going through all these sort of business words <laughs> everything is very shrewd and astute and they're very efficient they've maximised their KPIs <laughs> but that's kind of what Ireland are and when you look at how Ireland were able to in the first minute hit Scotland 
or not first minute the first I think well actually two minutes of the game um, Ireland were able to hit Scotland with um, just pure counter transition counter punch off the exit that they took from the kickoff will just give you an idea as to Ireland being able to take you apart in any way that they want to a certain extent now this Irish team does not have the sort of fireworks we'll say or the work on the first phase of transition that maybe the All Blacks have or maybe South Africa have when they get a little bit of space and separation even what Scotland do like I mean Scotland showed here that they can score tries from long range as well but what Ireland do have is a system that everybody who's in this team at the moment knows inside out and I'm talking about not just their roles but the roles of other people who are sort of in the same kind of 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 role set as them they can slot in and do the job and look as an example second half had Jamison Gibson Park and Gary Ringrose on the wing but did it matter were they confused in running the lines that 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 are expected of those players no absolutely not they were more than comfortable doing it because they know exactly what that line is supposed to be and they can run it and they can do it easily and this is the strength of having a team that is so that has cohesion at its core that the one of the big things about this team for the last two years has been your presence on the team so like in in, in, in essence if you're not in this team there is a feeling of catch-22 about it in that you need cohesion to be on the team but you can't get cohesion unless you're on the team so it's it, that is a catch-22 if you're not in this group or you didn't get in on, on the, the ground floor for the majority of players. But for the guys who were in it, just go back and watch that second half. Watch Jamison Gibson Park running those loop lines that Mac Hansen does. Or watch Gary Ringrose pulling off the exact loop line that Mac Hansen did for the first try for Ireland's second try with Hugo Keenan. This is the level that this team is at, the, the intellectual capacity that they have to basically know what everybody's supposed to be doing at any given time even if they're out of position that will just give you an idea as to how deeply held and how embedded this system is in this group of players and is there a vulnerability there in that this group of we'll say not even 33 players this group of 26 27 28 players that is the core of this team that if there are injuries to those guys and we aren't able to replace them with some of the role guys who who obviously know what they're doing. There are certain positions I think we are vulnerable to that. Yeah, we will do. We 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 will be in trouble. And there is a few injuries in this team right now. But the level of injuries that we would have to ship would have to be apocalyptic, um, because the the general level of of this team and the the comfort that they have in the system is like a top end club team. And by club team, I mean they have a level of of understanding with the players they're with that i mean it's it's very difficult to beat and i think if you're looking at the the upcoming games I mean, we've got a big quarter final coming up i'll be speaking about later in the week but you look at how this team has managed they've never been beaten out the gate in the last we'll say 24 longer uh, months um, like this team has not been beaten out the gate because I think that the, the level in this team is just it prevents that from happening there's grit in this team there's toughness in this team and I think if you want a comparison to the opposite of that I think you would look at, at Scotland um, and again but just to, to, to kind of bring it back to this game rather than the, the grand scheme of things at the moment a lot of criticism came Scotland's way in the aftermath of this because of some of the talking that they were doing pre-game um, during the week. Now, some of that is they're asked questions by their own press where the only option is you either start doing the full Declan Kidney or you back yourself and you back your team to show up and to get the result that you need. Now, some of it was a bit over the top. I felt that Blair Kinghorn, even though he's 50 caps into his career, showed a fair bit of inexperience when he was saying about how you know what guys Ireland's winning streak that's coming to an end this Saturday that's coming to an end it's like buddy you didn't have to go that far <laughs> now again if he, if, if he pulls it off he looks like the most confident that he's the only guy in the room smartest guy he knew what everybody didn't know um, but in the way that the game turned out um, it turned out that it looked like he was just chatting absolute pipe and look and that's fine look if you're going to talk and be interesting in the press 
you're going to end up eating crow at some stage and that's just a reality but uh, I think that from a Scottish perspective I do think that this rep they have of being all talk and being windy and all this other stuff I think some of that has taken overboard a little bit like I've no problem with a team backing themselves to go out and get a result one thing I hate is teams who obviously aren't humble pretending to be and doing so because they don't want to give the opposition any any ammunition like yeah I know like that's what you should be doing but I find that isn't just being look just fucking just give your opinion do you think you're going to win on Saturday and again a lot of this comes down to the press like they set these guys up for failure to a certain extent with the questions that they asked them and I think it's you know especially when it's been Scotland and Ireland as of late um, it's just been Ireland winning one game after the other and we've been in that spot if you're a Munster fan listening to this it's we've been in a similar spot when it's come to, to Leinster over the last four or five years and like if you ever notice in those press conferences that that ever that I'm in where I'm ask, asking questions of Munster beforehand I'm never talking about history or do you think you can get it done this weekend because what's the, what's the only what's the way you can answer that question if you go oh well you know it's going to be a tough game uh well you know who knows how it's going to go like you, you, straight away you come across like you're afraid of them or that you're weak or that you're not backing yourself or that oh look same old story and if you come out then kind of going they have nothing for us they're going to lose this weekend we're going to win we're better than them every game they've beaten us up until this point has been a fluke they have a horseshoe up their ass these guys we're going to pull it out and beat them over the head with it if that's the case if you don't win at the weekend you are a clown you are a bozo you are Pagliacci talking to the doctor this is like this is how the press work and this is how I suppose the build up to these games work in that especially if the results lately have been lopsided there's no real way to talk about it if you're the team who's been losing for the majority there's no way that you can talk about the game if they talk about the result and the possibilities of the result you come off looking like an idiot for the majority of the time unless you're literally just going look uh, game's got to be played we're focused on ourselves end of story and then to just literally just end that particular segment like that and just speak about injuries the weather the French food whatever you want to do bed bugs that'd probably even be better than talking about how historically do you think you can turn around the tide of history maybe who knows but I I think from a Scottish perspective I don't know what their baseline is, right? I know what they can do at their best. At their best, they can beat France at home, and I think they can push them to almost beat them away from home. I'm not sure, did they win away from home there? I don't know. Maybe I should have checked that out before I came on air, doing Derek Foley here. But when you look at how Scotland have been so up and down, like I know the whole thing about them being inconsistent is a bit of a trope at this stage, but I think that up against Ireland with the way that we play especially the counter transition style game that we play with our transition defence being as good as our post transition attack that's a very difficult matchup for Scotland with the way that they play uh, Scotland have elements of counter transition in their game for example Finn Russell kicks more and longer than anybody else in the last year if you're looking at tier 1 teams he is the primary kicker for the Scottish team and they they, like they, they use counter transition principles in the way that they play where they're kicking the ball long downfield they're looking to try to attack what the opposition do in return so if that opposition run the ball back into the Scottish team look at their back five build but look at their back row build in particular all of them small forwards all of them guys who are really good over the ball at the breakdown all of them guys who are very very mobile so they can cover a lot of ground on transition both in attack and defence so that aspect of their game is coherent right I think what they're let down by from a system perspective is they've gone very light and quick with their back row, as we saw in this game in the, in the Wally ratings, which came out yesterday. If you go and look at their front five, though, their hooker is always is always going to be a small forward style hooker as well, quite mobile, um, get, can get around the field really, really well, good breakdown player, so on and so forth. The other four guys, though, are very, very big and heavy. Xander Fagerson, Pierre Schumann, uh, Johnny Gray, Grant Gilchrist, all of these are really good players like you look at, at Pierre Schumann I think he's probably one of the best players in that Scottish front five none of them are bad players but it's the difference in pace between the front we'll say that front four and then the other sort of loose small forward four that they that they always go with that's an area where Ireland repeatedly attacked them in this game and repeatedly scored points off the back of 
Ireland isolated Grant Gilchrist in the uh, for the first try and counter transition because Scotland overloaded on a, a, a box kick exit and they attacked the pace of um, the that we'll say the heavy four and the separation that will naturally come between the light four and the heavy four if we're looking at this Scottish pack in particular and they did it again for the uh, the decisive try I think they really put the exclamation mark on this right after that scrap um, when Ireland got Dan Sheehan over in the corner the line break that came off the back of that line out happened because again Ireland attacked the difference in speed between their back row and hooker and their two props and their two locks and that I think was was that that was that. But like if you look at the way that Ireland have attacked them, they attack that pace differential across the middle line of the field fairly consistently. And if you're Scotland, you're saying, well, we can we have to have those guys there. We have to have them. And I think what Scotland maybe need to do, or and, and again and, and again need to do, right? If the players are there, they're there. If they're not there, they're not. That's the compromise that they've had to make, right? Now, against the likes of France, you can get away with that because France give you an awful lot of possession by default. So they give you an awful lot of, um, we'll say, transition-like um, positions to play from. And, and France themselves can, are prone at times to blowing themselves out physically and leaving teams with, a, we'll say, a road to try and catch them in the last 15, 20 minutes. Scotland have been very, very good at that because conditioning-wise, they're very, very good. In this game against Ireland, though, um, Scotland went away from what had worked for them previously so in the the game against South Africa Scotland kicked the ball once every five passes so what does that mean that means that if uh, Scotland had possession they were kicking the ball at a fairly high volume so they figured well we don't want to be in contact too much against this um, against this South Africa side they're big they're physical so we want to try and get them moving around the field right so they were willing to risk South Africa's danger on transition by kicking the ball more to make sure that they weren't engaging them in phase play constantly which again that's a decision that they made and I think that if anything Scotland underperformed in that game with the with the, 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 the scores that they left on the table like against South Africa they were very inefficient and if you go back and watch that game as I did there were a number of opportunities that they had that I mean that like honestly they should have been tries they should have been full seven pointers but they left behind them and the kicking that they did shook up the South African defence and it worked but they went away from it in this game and like that'll be the frustrating thing from their perspective because Ireland stuck more or less to the to the kicking that we've been doing for the last two years we had a pass or a kick to pass ratio of one kick every 5.3 passes which again is fairly standard for this Irish team Scotland on the other hand went from one kick every five passes against Scot- uh, South Africa to one kick to every 13.8 passes against Ireland. Do, do you think that that's good? What does that mean to you? That means that Scotland decided, and this is not something that you can do accidentally, right? This isn't something you can do accidentally. This means that Scotland decided that Ireland are the opposite of South Africa. This is what they felt. They backed themselves to play on-ball rugby, which they've done at times in this in, in, in the last year, to play on-ball rugby against this Irish team because I think they looked at Leinster versus La Rochelle and they felt hanging on to the ball against this Irish team is the best thing to do because they won't be able to attack in the way that they do if they don't have the ball. They would have looked at the second half, I think, of Leinster versus La Rochelle from earlier this year, seen the way that La Rochelle didn't really kick the ball an awful lot at all, and instead put it on, um, uh, basically put a lot of on-ball pressure onto Leinster, um, and Leinster broke under that pressure. I think Scotland felt that they could do the same in this game, but the problem is they don't have the ability to retain the ball with the same sort of impetus that La Rochelle do La Rochelle have massive powerful ball carriers that compress that like it compressed the Leinster defence when these guys were, were were carrying the ball that did not happen here because again if you go back and you watch all of those 20 phases we'll say from early in the game Ireland never lost more than two defenders to any one of those collisions because Ireland didn't bother going at them at the breakdown so basically what Ireland said was is that 
have your quick ball, have your possession, we'll just keep tackling it. And that was the miscalculation that um, Gregor Townsend made in this game. Because unless the players in the field went radically against his wishes, they basically punched themselves out against Ireland in the way that they were afraid South Africa would do but they thought that they would not do against Ireland if that makes sense um, because the, the amount of phases that they went through and the amount of possession that they had like it's mad <laughs> like it's the kind of thing like they had 175 ball carries right like I, I've spoken about like a like a, a pass per carry ratio right so like you look at the basically you're looking at how many passes you do relative to how many carries you do and if you look at the the way that they do it a carry is when you carry the ball into contact a pass is obviously a pass like they had a pass per carry ratio of 1.34 which is again fairly expensive but given that we're talking about 175 passes or sorry 175 carries and when you compare that to their kicking ratio which is one kick every 13.8 passes what does that tell you it tells you that they blew themselves out in this game where they put so much pressure on their ability to win collisions against Ireland and look they had 70% of their rocks were quick ball but it didn't matter because they were always moving that ball into a play into a place where there were Irish defenders who were coming over who were chopping them low who weren't getting trapped at the breakdown so there was always 14 players on their feet at any one time 13 at the very least and they just struggled to compress Ireland and even if they had quick ball it didn't matter they weren't able to get that ball into any area that it could hurt Ireland in any way that would be leading to points for them now I do think if you go back and look at some of the penalties that they won early on should they have kicked those penalties absolutely that in itself is a little bit of the the meltdown that we've seen from Scotland before where they just don't have the clarity of of purpose or the clarity of 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 we'd say tactical awareness to go we're 5-0 down so instead of looking to try to answer back and get back to 5-5 or 7-5 with a maul why don't we just take three just take the three like if they if they took the threes that they had the opportunity to do in that first half like we'll say in the first 20 minutes just based on how it broke down they could have been leading 6-5 and it's 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 that kind of stuff that I think comes back to haunt Scotland again and again where their decision making it can be very very rash and it can be almost overly emotional where they can put themselves into a position where they have everything that they need to do they have all the tools at their disposal but when it comes down to it and certainly against Ireland they can't adapt to what they see in front of them that happened back in the Six Nations it happened here so as the the game progressed it just felt that Scotland knew or, or I suppose their certainty in what they thought they knew about how to beat Ireland just increased um, as as the game progressed because I, I think a lot of teams have a concept in their minds as to how you beat the Leinster framework and then as a result we'll say the very beefed up Irish framework which is the Leinster framework without some of the weaknesses that they have in, in their group so what would work against Leinster in theory should also work against Ireland I think a lot of teams are taking what worked for La Rochelle consistently over the last number of years and looking to try to adapt that as much as they can to their own framework um, because again if you go back over the last two years the only teams who've really um, consistently beaten Ireland even just go back over the last three years have been France and you know a lot of those were either during the pandemic or in France uh, and I think that you know Ireland were second best on the day in those games but I wouldn't say beaten out the gate either and you look at Ireland beating France earlier this year as well that is not a map I think a lot of teams can go on but for me I think the most obvious map that you can follow to try to beat this Irish team is to look at the team who've consistently beaten Leinster and that's La Rochelle and there's a few different things that they have that they've uh, that I think some teams are trying to, to replicate the first is La Rochelle's use of possession the whole KBA KBA we're talking about here basically high possession on ball rugby now when La Rochelle do it they have massive physical specimens to keep retaining the ball over the course of 10 plus you know 15 plus phases 
and La Rochelle are comfortable playing those phases relatively far out from the opposition's 22. They have the size to play that way. It seemed that Scotland were looking to try to build an element of that into their game here. They've been reducing their kicking, I think, over the last number of years. Certainly this year, they're, they're, they're close enough to South Africa when it comes to their average kick volume per game. But the big difference there is they don't have Will Skelton. They don't have Uni Antonio. They don't have Greg Aldrich. They don't have Jonathan Dante. They have, you know, in midfield, they have Sione Tuopalato and, and Hugh Jones, who are very mobile players. But none of these guys are in the same bracket as a Jonathan Dante. And you look at their back row, there's no Gregory Aldritz there. There's no massive power, you know, tight head lock power forwards in that group, like a, like a Will Skelton. So straight away, when Scotland are retaining the ball over that those long periods, you're not dealing with the same sort of physical pressure. And Ireland looked very comfortable. And, you know, that comes back to the physical matchups that are there. Ireland would have thought beforehand we have these guys physically and nothing Scotland showed early on would have disproved any of that. And I think you look at their their set piece as well it just wasn't heavy enough when they got when they dropped into the mall they didn't have either a technical enough mall to start moving Ireland around or strong enough to mall over the top and and that was that straight away takes away a lot of their on-ball threat in that because typically on-ball teams will go through multiple sets of phases, they might win a penalty. Will they kick it, go down the line? You have to be able to convert then. And the weight that La Rochelle play with is a large part of that game. The one thing I think most people haven't cottoned onto is playing a high ball and playtime game, but reducing the lineouts that you give Ireland. And Scotland weren't able to do that as much as possible. Like as in, sometimes you'll concede penalties, Ireland will go down the line regardless. But the number of penalties and and, and uh, lineouts rather that Ireland had was twelve. We had a hundred percent completion. So, like, you, like you might say, oh, the lineout was called much better. Like Ireland just went to the front almost the entire time because we didn't rate Scotland's mall defence in the same way that we rated the Springboks. So we tried to go to the middle and the back of the middle against the Springboks because we wanted to try and basically give ourselves space to work. Against Scotland, we just didn't rate their either their midfield defence, their inner defence, you know, guarding the, the, the gap inside the 10, or their mall defence. So we just went to the front and r- retained every line-out that we had, mauled very effectively, and Scotland really had no answer. And that's kind of that's kind of the story of the game, really, is that Scotland had no answer whatsoever for Ireland until it, the, the, the game was long gone, and uh, they were able to score a try on... Um, counter transition which you would expect they do have those elements in their game and uh, both of those were counter transition tries as in they got a long kickback from Ireland off the, the restart again it just happens after the first try um, then they just went from their own 22 and got on the outside of Ian Henderson on both occasions who was very very tired by the end of this game because there was a very high ball and play time in this game actually so I think that that would have affected certain elements of Ireland's fitness Ian Henderson looked again look he hasn't played a whole ton of rugby as of late so he was caught on the edge on both occasions but again I thought he played well overall Um, and at that stage the game was gone so Ireland were able to take off the vast majority of their key players bring on some of the replacements there's obviously going to be a bit of disruption when that happens and that that was certainly the case Ireland weren't able to play with a full deck um, just because they were I think that with the, the ball and play time that was already expended, Ireland were very much in energy conservation mode in the last 20 minutes. They didn't need to push on. Like, if Ireland needed 50 points, we would have got it. I think it's as simple as that. Um, and I, I think overall, look, just a very good performance by Ireland. But at the same time, I don't think you can look at it and go, this is a massive statement to world rugby now. Ireland are putting it out there that we're, we're back up. Um... No, I don't think so. I think Scotland's performance was so flat and Ireland's dominance was so complete. Yeah, look, Scotland are more highly ranked than Italy, you know, because again, I think people were losing the rag with looking at the All Blacks who have lost their last two games to Tier 1 opposition. Uh, we're playing, and I'm talking about the proper Tier 1. We're talking about top four, top five teams in the world. They've lost two of their last games to those teams. They went at a fine run, beating Uruguay, beating Italy, um again like as you would expect um 
And I think after they put, what, 90 points on Italy, there was lots of talk. People going, Jesus, look, are the All Blacks, are they back up? Um, they may they may or may not be, but I don't think looking at them running up a score against a, an Italy side who just repeatedly clocked themselves in the jaw, I'm not sure if that's proof of anything, one way or the other. But yeah, no, I think that for the, for the most part, when you're looking at this uh, this Irish side, good win, really ruthless, really efficient. Um, but if it's a sign to the rest of the world, no, I think the South Africa game was that. This was Ireland performing to the level that we expect against an opposition that, to a certain extent, doesn't really know how to beat Ireland, even though they think they do. And uh, the game played out more or less as you would expect. Ireland were very, very comfortable. Now, going through some of the individual performances from here, again, just nothing but really good quality play. And I think that the the way that Ireland performed just again shows the power of the the strength of the units that are in here. Um, instead of going down and looking at all the players, because I, I think literally you could you could have a word with all of them. Um, oh, one of the questions I had, a lot of questions in the aftermath about not a lot of questions. Matt Williams was speaking about Jack Crowley's game management in the aftermath of this game, and uh, a few other of the a few journalists, if you want to call them that, were bringing it into question as well. Game management is the very nebulous term that people use when they want to criticise somebody. Um, I think at the moment there is an element of people who would love and prefer for Ross Byrne to be the guy on the bench instead of Jack Crowley for predictable reasons. I mean, you might say my predictable reason is Jack Crowley is a monster player and not only that, from in a Shannon, only over the road for me. Maybe it is. But I think looking at Jack Crowley's body of work this year, we've seen a guy who can win big games for his club, win trophies for his for his club. And as the young player who seems to be performing at the highest level of all the tens, we'll say beneath Johnny Sexton, I think it only makes sense that the guy is in there. They like his character. They like the way he uh, comports himself, we'll say. Uh, he plays aggressive. He's got a great boot. He understands the scheme that Ireland are playing. The problem is I don't think that a lot of the pundits who were criticising him, well, not, we're talking about one pundit and, and one one journalist who seem to be criticising him, I don't think they understand Ireland's scheme either. The criticism that he got against South Africa, again, was nebulous, vague. He played on scheme. He played exactly on scheme for the way that Ireland are playing. And in this game, yeah, he tried a few chips over the top. One of them really came on, a really nice crossfield kick. Uh, some of the other stuff were, were, were kicks over the top of the defensive line, which, again, he was looking to try and exploit the space in behind from um, that Scottish blitz defence, such as it was. Um, and yeah, when the ball was kicked, it was turned over. But I think, look at the context of the game. Ireland, at that point, were winning, what, 36-0? Um, so if he is kicking the ball and moving the ball in a different way than what Sexton was for the previous you know, uh, and, and Sexton kicked the ball quite a bit as well, by the way. The majority of the kicks in this game came from Sexton. Um, you would look at um, the way he is behaving, and it's certainly in context. The kicks that he's making, the decisions he's making are in the context of Ireland have this game already won. There's already at that point 30, 35 minutes ball in play. It's a, it was a very, very tiring game uh, to play in, talking to some of the fellas I've been speaking to. It was, you know, I mean, fair, at, at that stage in the second half, you could see lots of that Irish team were beginning to, to blow smoke a small little bit, as you would expect, a high ball and playtime game. That happens. Um, but I think from a, a, a kind of a management perspective, I think the bad decision would have been, let's just run through the phases. Let's go. And I'm getting my shit in, basically. Jack Crowley is going, I'm running a ton of fucking screens. I'm running a, run a I'm, I'm running a ton of phases. I'm getting my shit in and that's that. No feel for the game. I think that would be what you would accuse uh, Jack Crowley of if he had done that. No feel for the game. No feel for the forwards with a game coming up next Saturday night. Remember, the All Blacks are fresh as a daisy. They've been off. So Jack Crowley, the way that he managed that game was, I'm not going to run these guys through 9, 10, 12 phases of possession. I'm going to play a kind of a more cardio, respectful game where we're not going to be burning the forwards who we're going to be expecting to either start or come off the bench next weekend against the All Blacks. Let's play 
a lighter game. Let's defend. We can defend. Ireland's attack is very, very cardio-intensive. Defensively, it is easier to defend from a cardio perspective. People think it's the opposite. There are more impacts on defence, but regardless, there, there are impacts regardless, either on attack or defence. You're doing one or the other. So when you're attacking, especially with the way that Ireland attack and the pace it's involved, there is a ton of movement involved as well. So it's not just guys standing around with fellas are carrying. The entire team is moving. Defensively, you're tracking across the field. So you're moving in shorter bursts. You're tracking across the field in shorter bursts. Yeah, you have to make tackles. You're applying certain amounts of line speed. Ireland weren't blitzing all day long against the, against Scotland because, again, we didn't need to. So in that regard, attacking, probably at that stage in the game, do you need to be doing a whole load of phase play? I don't think so. And again, there's this idea that like there's the way you're playing and that stays the exact way for the same way for the full 80 minutes. I don't think that's the case at all. I think that the way Jack Crowley managed the game was perfectly fine off the bench, exactly what you would want in that circumstance. And uh, I just think there's a, a bit of an element of, of, of grasping for criticism. And again, look, I gave Jack Crowley and Conor Murray and a lot of the bench three stars because the game was dead at that point. And it was dead because the likes of like Andrew Porter was brought off, Johnny Sexton was brought off, Peter Romani, Tyke Byrne. Because, again, Ireland knew they had the game won and they didn't need those guys out there anymore. Um, and I think just this game as well is one of those performances from Andrew Porter where he makes his case as being the best loose head prop in the game at the moment. Like, a lot of that comes down to, and again, like I, I, the, the criticism of Andrew Porter that I've had over the years has been his scrummaging has been very up and down since he switched over to the loose head side. In the last couple of months... Uh, certainly of this tournament it has not been an issue so when the scrum is not an issue for Andrew Porter every other aspect of his game is elite world class level like he has not had the trouble that he that, like that, that that I would have expected from some of the fellas he's come up against he has handled them perfectly that area of his game looks like it's improving or at the very least referees are not calling it either way that's the same thing for me when the scrum is not an issue Andrew Porter is one of the very best players in the world not just in his position full stop like his breakdown work his defence his mobility um, his power outstanding outstanding and uh, when you look at that front five that started here Sheehan Farlong had a great game I felt um, Tyg Byrne great Ian Henderson tired a bit towards the end for sure but played a really good game as well that is a really good front five. Sheehan and Porter, there was a few occasions when Scotland looked like they were getting in on that little gap that's there between the two of them, but they couldn't consistently do so and not give it away to the referee that there was elements of boring in from them. Um, really, really good front five performance. Uh, the back row was on a different level again, though. Peter Romani, in his 100th cap, was absolutely outstanding again, even though he was on the field for what, like was it 48 minutes like that's when a lot of these guys were hooked off that's massive like all of those guys Porter, Sheehan, Furlong, Byrne and O'Mani were off before the 50th minute which will give you an idea as to just how dominant Ireland actually were here Peter O'Mani again I think he stepped up another level in, in, in this season I think this year calendar year his physicality is off the charts you look at how uh, what the, like the shape he's in compared even to 2019 he's added on extra size he is looking in great shape his game is as good as it's ever been his game sense is as good as, it, as it's ever been like his understanding of what he needs to do and where and how like is as good as any player and I think that I said on Red FM there on Sunday that he needs to be spoken about in the same terms as the likes of Jerome Kano and other guys like that if Ireland can win the World Cup in this year which I think we absolutely now have the power to do. I think he's in that discussion as 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 a world-class talent and a genuine world-class talent. And we're talking about over the last 10, 20 years to be in that discussion. I think his work this year has been on another level again, just outstanding. And you look at Doris and Van der Fleer. Doris, again, just again, you, does everything. Like a utility player to a certain extent, in that he can fill any of those roles, be it Ireland's number six role or seven role or the eight role as he did here. And yeah, look, there's elements in his game where I feel sometimes his actual direct ball carrying can be a little bit up and down. But every other part of his game 
just technically outstanding. Like, great passer of the ball. Defensively, outstanding. One of the best players in the world from a defensive perspective. Um, and just how he can go for the full 18 minutes. A really complete player. You know, bar one or two small things, I would say, from putting him in that. You know, to be a fully complete back row guy. He's, a you know, one or two small bits away. But, like, still, he's got, he's got years to develop yet. He's still quite a young man. A very, very good performance. Uh, Van der Fleer again, five stars. I gave all of the back row five stars. Van der Fleer everywhere at the breakdown again. He's going to have massive numbers when I get that out this week uh, on Wednesday on the test match animal tier and a 10 euro tier. Um, you will see just exactly just how busy he was. Um, but yeah, again, look, he makes this Irish team tick. Um, and you can make a, an argument that he should go to the bench maybe when Ireland look to try to play heavier um, not sure that would be the case now with, with James Ryan looking to be injured but um, yeah look that back row absolutely tore them up um, on both sides of the ball and that's uh, exactly what you want um, Gibson Park and Sexton did really well they didn't have to blow the barn doors off here to have a good game they were efficient they did exactly what was asked of them and again, the, the forwards kind of did the rest and set the platform. Um, so yeah, but and, I, and and Gibson Park looked really good on the wing. Like I said, he is a winger nine archetype. So it would make sense that he would look good in that space. And he actually, he really, really did. Um, Sexton too, just very calm, controlled, just able to, basically able to, to, to manage the game and put it exactly where he needed to go. Uh, Scotland were not headhunting him but they were over focusing on him in attack and when teams do that to Johnny Sexton he's just so experienced he's seen it all twice <laughs> he can uh, put the ball into the space and his pass quality his clarity of thought are exactly what you would expect of a guy who is 38 and still playing at the highest level um, one of the greatest of all time I think without question um, the back line just again very good uh, Lowe went off at half time he was relatively quiet by his own standards um, but again I think he, he was pretty good when he was in the field Hansen was was off the field a fair bit I, gave, I think I gave him what three stars or whatever it was um, Ringrose by the way unbelievably good um, did I give him four or five stars I don't know I should have given him five stars if I haven't I'll go back and I'll change it now because I just watched it again before doing this podcast and um, Ringrose was so good like I know before I've joked about how, well not joked about, I did make a theory before that Gary Ringrose would actually be a really good winger in the, the Leinster system um, and that if they had a kind of a standout candidate at midfield to come in and maybe partner up with, with Robbie Henshaw or whatever else that you could accommodate that without dropping or you know reducing the role of, of Gary Ringrose. He essentially plays like a winger anyway, right? When you look at the way he plays in that, in that outside centre jersey for Ireland and Leinster, he is essentially another winger, except that he doesn't run the loop lines that the Leinster wingers run and the Irish wingers run. And like in this game in the second half, when he kind of moved out to the wing um, to replace, I think either Hanson or Lowe, one of the two, um, it just it, it, there was no drop off in performance. He knows the lines to run. He he knows what he has to do in that spot and um, looked really really comfortable there. Bundyaki again top class performance from a fellow who's arguably the player of the tournament so far the physicality off the fucking charts again from him he is in great nick looking like Wolverine um, and playing like him as well um, if you'd imagine Wolverine playing rugby without the claws coming out obviously because I, mean, I think that would be very illegal looking but Bundyak he just seems to win every collision he runs into uh, this in this World Cup season and he's playing at, at just a very very high level um, and then Hugo Keenan scored two tries Um covered so much ground in the backfield um, again does us the honour of when he's running to make it look like he's absolutely fucking legging it that he is running from a bear behind him he is sprinting took his tries really well and is just again a fantastic player very very few downsides in his game if there even is any you might say oh is he the most creative player at first receiver no but he doesn't have to be like the, the only thing that can stop this guy from just going on to have a absolute greatest of all time career at fullback is injury. That's the only thing that can stop this guy. He is absolutely fantastic and had a great game here. Um, Ronan Kelleher off the bench. That one-two punch for Ireland at hooker, Sheehan and Kelleher, is one of the best in the game. Like I think every other hooker replacement that you have in the squad that's remaining, you're losing a bit. You're, 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 you're losing something. 
with both of these guys they bring top class role builds in each of their specific roles and like that's such a blessing for Ireland to have those two guys because I think Ronan Kelleher on his own would be a fantastic discovery over this cycle but the fact that also Dan Sheehan popped in on this World Cup cycle just means that an area that could have been a weakness in the aftermath of Rory Best turned into one of the core strengths of this Irish team which is uh, great to see Kilcoyne and Bealham I thought did okay when they came on as well Jack Conan uh, I think had a decent enough uh, appearance off the bench nothing too flashy but it, it all went um, it all went okay he came back from his injury relatively well um, Stuart McCluskey I gave him four stars really good um, just again big physicality from him uh, a lot of the talk about oh he doesn't give you a whole ton of cover on the bench Ireland have used a midfielder on the bench for the majority of, of the last year we'll say it's been Robbie Henshaw so it would make sense I suppose that they would go with Stuart McCluskey in the same spot I you know wrong, wrongly thought that they would put if Robbie Henshaw was injured on, on Wednesday on Provincial State of Mind my mistake was thinking that oh well they'll put in Keith Earls or, or Jimmy O'Brien because of the cover that they get from him but like if you've got Wingrose who can Wingrose that, that was actually unintentional there if they have Gary Wingrose who can cover the wing obviously then you don't need to have a winger you know a guy who's specifically a winger cover on the bench that way then it would make more sense if you had Stuart McCluskey and I think that he had such a, a really like impressive game here I think that will only I think copper fasten their um, their thinking if it is a case that Robbie Henshaw is out longer term which apparently he isn't because I think he's been training today but uh, yeah that just overall just a really good performance from Ireland but we know now that the serious business is coming uh, we will not be judged in this World Cup by beating the likes of Romania Tonga and South Africa or not <laughs> throwing South Africa in under, in under the bus there or Scotland um, these are lower level teams that we should be putting away anyway um, we will be judged against the likes of South Africa France and New Zealand this coming weekend so that's, that's like it's a challenge we have to bring the level of performance that we brought against South Africa up a level again against the against the All Blacks we have to perform with the sort of intelligence and accuracy and fucking physicality that we brought last year in that World Cup in that series in the build up to the World Cup we need to bring that again here but on another level again um, I spoke before in years gone by about the All Blacks that they don't rate you until they hate you they hate us now they rate us and we have to be ready for that about what's coming the physicality that's coming our way but this team will be ready they will be ready they will not be caught unawares by the All Blacks we are now a team who is in that discussion as being the one of the elite teams in this game we've been number one in the world for a while we have to fucking drive it home now and get that World Cup and change the sport in this country forever and this group has the ability to do it we picked up a few injuries James Ryan has got a a wrist injury we don't know the full extent of it as of yet but we've seen Ian Henderson coming in good player that Henderson and Byrne there the second row that's a, a good second row pairing ideally you'd want James Ryan there in that rotation but we're at a stage now where we've got just finals ahead of us and you know it's win or go home and they're the stakes but we know that the All Blacks this weekend if we can beat them we go where no Irish team has ever gone before and put ourselves into a position where we can win this tournament and the way it goes will we be playing Argentina or Wales in a semi-final if we can get there any other day of the week we'd expect to beat those two teams every, every time so it's the All Blacks are in our way we have to go and put them away and we know we can do it we just have to approach this game with the same accuracy and calmness that we brought to the previous games and not get too in our heads about the fact that it's New Zealand and the fact that it's a World Cup knockout we have come to expect to beat the All Blacks whenever we play them this weekend we need to do it again so we'll see how we go I'm going to be building up to this all week as we get to the biggest game in Irish rugby history which I genuinely believe that it is because if we can win this game there is no reason why we shouldn't get to a final to play a team that we haven't that, like that we've already beaten either in the last couple of months or in the last two years and that is the most thrilling thing that I can think of 
that it's all there waiting for us. We just have to go and fucking take it and not let this opportunity slip past us. Thank you very much for joining me in this podcast. I will talk to you again very, very soon.